0: I thank you for this good crowd that we got tonight, that we just can study your Word, spend a little time to learn more about you, dear Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to to learn about you, dear Lord, so that we we can praise you all the more and so that we can strive to be like you in all that we do, dear Lord. I pray that we get strength from what we learn about you tonight. And I just pray that you bless this time we have. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. Who is God? Now, this... I had already planned to do kind of like some kind of little summer series, and I was going back and forth between a few different ideas of things that might be fun for us to discuss. And And when we were going through Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 for six months, I, uh, we talked briefly about the nature of God. And I had commented in that sermon that you could probably spend several weeks talking about the nature of God. And about a week after that, I said to myself, Maybe that's what we need to do for our summer study. Since we kind of skimmed over that, we really didn't spend a lot of time talking about the nature of God. And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We're going to look at three, three things each week. And you could you could expand this list. This is not an exhaustive list. You could probably come up with more things to describe the nature of God. But these 12 things that we're going to look at ...will kind of give us an idea. Now this is going to be real laid back, just kind of looking at these things, discussing these things... ...talking about maybe how these things have an impact on our life and what they mean. And so uh, you can see at the end of your handout what we're going to cover the next next three weeks. There We're going to do three things each week. We'll spend about probably 15, 20 minutes on each of these different areas. And all of these things that we're going to talk about represent who God is. Now... The passage that kind of got us on this track to start with was this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of His nature. Now, we talked about that, that that means that when we see Jesus, we have seen God. And Jesus Himself said, look, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus represents everything that God is. Now, of course, when we read the Old Testament, we've seen everything that God is, for thousands of years. But when Jesus came, that was represented to us in the flesh in a perfect way, that we have a perfect example of who God is. But, but what does that mean is not just from what we see of Jesus, but throughout all of the text, what are some key things that we see about God? Well, tonight we're going to talk about three of those things. One of those things is that God is omnipresent. Now, these words that you're going to hear tonight may be words that you have not heard before. You may have heard them before or read them before or seen them in your study Bible. Uh, these are words that are not in Scripture. You're not, it's not like you're going you're to open up your Bible and you're going to find a passage that says, And God is omnipresent. These are, these are ideas. These are thoughts that we can look at God in the text and say, Okay, we can tell by what the scripture tells about god that this is who god is one example of that is the trinity now we don't see that language in the scripture it's not like you turn to a passage and it says and god and jesus and the holy spirit are the trinity now the word trinity is not there but we see that relationship that three in one throughout scriptures and it's a hard thing maybe for us to wrap our head around or maybe to explain in a a really good way that makes sense And even if we don't fully understand or grasp the idea of the Trinity, we can see those ideas throughout Scripture. And so these things that we see tonight are not words that you are going to see in your Bible, but we're going to look at five Scriptures for each of these things to kind of give us an idea of of how we can come to the conclusion that God is these things, or these things are God. So the first one we're going to look at is the fact that God is omnipresent. The second one that we're going to look at is the fact that God is omnipotent, not omnipotent. Now, oftentimes when we think about potent, we think about something that stinks, something that smells. Well, potent means strong. It's not saying that God smells strongly. I mean, I don't know how God smells. Maybe he does. Omnipotent is the word that we're going to look at tonight. And the last thing that we're going to look at here is omniscient. God is omniscient. So, let's look at the first one. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means God is ever-present. God is everywhere. There is nowhere that we are that God is not. Now, we see this time and time again in the Scripture. Now, I said, we're going to look at a few Scriptures. You can certainly find more Scriptures than these to to kind of bolster these arguments to, to show us that God is everywhere. Let's look at the first passage. It's on your paper, or you can look at the screen. The first one is Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Now, this is talking about Jesus. He has been before all things. We've talked about the significance of that through the book of Hebrews thus far, that all things were created through him and for him and by him. Jesus is eternal. He has always been. He has always uh, will be. He is before all things. The next passage that we're going to look at tonight is where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee your presence? Now, David is acknowledging here that there is nowhere that we can go to get away from the Lord. No matter on our best day or on our worst day, whatever we are going through, God is with us. We cannot escape God. If, we're, if we feel like we are separated from God in the midst of our sin or our troubles, God is not far from us. If we think... We're going to run from God because we've done something wrong or we want to flee from God's presence. Well, we can't do that either. Nowhere that we can go can we flee from the Lord. Next scripture on our list here. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. Now, we see this language oftentimes attributed to God about eyes or hands or other other body parts that we may have. Now, whether God has those parts or whether that's just symbolic language, who knows what God really looks like. But whether God has eyes like ours or not is irrelevant. God sees everything that we do. It's important for us to remember that. That no matter what you do, God knows what you do. The eyes of the Lord are always on you. Now, sometimes people will say or do things in front of me, and then they'll say, oh, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that word, or I shouldn't have done that thing in front of you. And I said, Hey, look, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not the one you have to worry about. God is the one who's always watching us. And so he knows what we say or what we do. And when we sin, we may very well sin against another person, but when we sin, we always sin against God. Every sin we commit is against God, and God sees every sin that we do. Oftentimes, we see sin referred to as darkness in the Scripture, and oftentimes, when we are living in sin, we do it in the darkness. It is at night when we go out and do the things we shouldn't do. We turn the lights down. We go to a dark place. We don't do things in open and in public. Well, nowadays, sadly, we do. That's a, that's a big problem for our culture. Used to, people would be ashamed of things, and people would not do things in public. They would want to do things in the dark and keep things in the dark. But that's not so for our culture today, and that's not a good thing. There is no shame in our culture. People are, are instead, of, instead of hiding their sin... They boast all the more about their sin. And they say that we are supposed to boast with them in their sin. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not boast in sin. We should know that God sees everything, whether it's the things that we do or whether it is the things that others do. God is ever-present. And that's what we talk about when we use the word omnipresent. He is always there. He's always with us on our good times. He's always with us on our bad times. He sees everything that we do. Our next passage is Jeremiah 23:24. Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. We talk about the heavens, we talk about the earth. God is there. Now, how is it possible that God can be in the heavens and God can be on the earth? That God can be where you are and God can be where I am? Well, it's a miraculous thing about God. That's what makes God phenomenal. That's one of the things that perhaps we can't really wrap our head around. You know, we, we, we think about that. I mean, there's, there's billions of people in this world. How in the world can God see everything? How in the world can God hear every prayer that we pray? I mean, probably any one of us in this room may pray 5, 10, 20 times a day. <clears throat> And yet God hears our prayers and he hears all of our prayers. And that's a pretty phenomenal thing that God is everywhere, that he is both in heaven, that he is both on earth, that he is with you, that he is with me, that he is with and among all creation at all time. That's, a, that's a, something that I can't really explain to you in words, but yet the concept that God is omnipresent is, is very clear throughout Scripture. All right, next passage. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But will God indeed live on earth, even heaven? The highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this temple... I have built. Now, in the context, there was a temple being built for God. Before the temple, there was a tabernacle, and God would descend on the tabernacle and he would meet the people there in the tabernacle, or the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and that's how God dwelled with his people. Now, we've talked about in the New Testament that we don't see the temple language in that same way because Christians are referred to as the temple. God's people are the temple, so God dwells in us. But back to the passage and the topic at hand, there is nothing that can contain God. God is too big for the highest heaven. He's too big for the world. He's too big for the universe. God is big, maybe much bigger than we have imagined. So next time that you are up against a really hard situation that seems really big, remember that God is bigger. Now, you may be saying, well, you don't know the situation that I'm in. Well, no, I, I may not know the situation that you're in. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt, whatever situation you are in, God is bigger. Now, that's not to belittle our situations and our sins and our struggles, because there are things that we go to that are really, really hard. I mean, we go through things that are so difficult, but we must be reminded of the obvious sometimes. Now, we probably all come into this room tonight and we would say, yes, God is good. God is big. But in the midst of our circumstances, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes... Our our struggles look so big that we say to ourselves, how in the world will I get out of this? Well, we will get through it, and we will get out of it, and we will overcome it because our God is bigger than our circumstances. There's nothing to contain Him. He's, he's, He's so big, nothing can contain God. He's bigger than the heavens. He's bigger than the earth. He's bigger than anything that there is. He is in everything. He is around everything. He is omnipresent. All right, I believe that's the last scripture that we have for omnipresent. And so to sum up, God is everywhere we are. So everywhere we are, God is. And we need to remember that because sometimes we find ourselves in places that we say, I don't know that I'm going to make it through this. How will I make it through this? We will make it through it with God. We need to remember that wherever we are, that God is. If we're in a place of, of difficulty, maybe we're, we're, we're living pretty good, we're doing good, we're in obedience to God, but, but even still our life is tough, then we need to remember, hey, God's with us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's not going to abandon us. He is always with us wherever we are. If we're in a place of sin, we need to remember that God sees that. God knows that. God doesn't want us to continue to live in that way. And so if we think we're hiding it from God, we are not. If we think we're hiding it from other people, we may or may not be, but regardless of what we think, God knows. If we fool everybody in this room and they think we are good brother and sister so-and-so, it does not matter because we have not fooled God. So we should not live our life in a, in, with this idea that somehow we're going to trick God and he's going to we're going to gain favor. No, we should seek to acknowledge our sin and repent of that sin and know, hey, God is faithful to forgive us of our sin. And so... God already sees it. We need to acknowledge it before God and repent of that. So that's the first area that we're going to talk about tonight. And that is the fact that God is omnipresent. All right, let's look at the next area that we're going to talk about tonight. Omnipotent. God is omnipotent. That means that God is all power. He has unlimited power. Think of the most powerful person, the most powerful thing that you can imagine and God is more powerful. Add the most powerful things that there are in this universe together, and God is more powerful because, in fact, God has created the universe. Our first passage to tell us that God is omnipotent is the first scripture in the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how much power would it take to create a heavens and the earth? It would take, I would imagine, an infinite amount of power no one can do that it takes a power beyond what we have so when we look at the at the earth and we look at the trees and we look at the oceans and we look at the mountains and we look at the universe that expands further than probably we could ever imagine and we only see just a just a snippet of it i mean imagine all the sands of the seashore and perhaps Our universe is but one grain of sand and all the grains of sand. I mean, we we don't even know how big the universe could be. But yet, it shows us the power of God in that God said, and it was. God said, let there be, and it was. Now, that is power right there. There is very little we can say, and it'll do. I mean... Now, we could say to Alexa, turn off the lights, and she may turn off the lights. But that's a far piece from the power of God, right? Alexa can only do what she was programmed to do. But God is above all things and more powerful than all things. And there may not be any greater scripture, at least early on in the Bible, than this passage right here. All right. The next passage we're going to look at is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Now, God had told Sarah and Abraham that they were going to have a child, but the problem is they were old, and they knew that they were old. And even though people lived a lot longer in those days, it is clear that it was a silly thing for people of their age, in their 80s, 90s, to even consider that they were going to have a child, that at some point here in the distant future, a child was going to be born to them. And so Sarah had laughed at this idea that God said in their old age they were going to have a child. And in verse 14, it says, Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. Now we see this idea throughout the scripture. There is nothing that is impossible for God. We need to remember that. Again, this is something we probably know. We've seen it in the Scripture. We may say, "Yes, I get it. There's nothing impossible for God," but my situation is so bad, God probably can't help me. No, we've got to. We've got to get past that kind of thinking. That's the kind of thinking that the devil wants us to focus on. That 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 we that we believe that there is something in our life that is too big for god to overcome no if it's within god's will and god desires to do it he will that's not to say that everything we pray and ask god for is his will but if it's within god's will then god will do what we ask him to do and we must ask with faith knowing that it is possible for that to occur now We see a good example of this here. In the old age of Sarah, she did conceive and have a child at 90 years old, as impossible as it may seem. Now, I don't know what you're up against today in your life, but it may seem to you as though it's going to be impossible for God to get you through this situation. But yet there are story after story after story, probably even in this room, of times in your life that you said to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this loss. I don't know how our church will ever overcome this horrible situation that may have arisen. And time and time again, we go through these things. And so many times, we seek God and we trust Him. And God works in such a miraculous way and does things beyond anything we could ever imagine. And we go through the worst situation we've ever been through. And we come out of it better than we've ever been. Now, how does that work? It works because God is powerful. It works because there's nothing impossible for God. We need to be reminded of that truth tonight. Nothing is impossible for God. All right, let's look at our next passage. Psalm 147, 5. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. Here we see again, just a real simple verse. God is vast in power. We see that power time and time again in our lives. We see it time and time again throughout Scripture. All right, next verse. I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. That comes from Job chapter 42, verse 4. Now this is good news. That if God has planned something, that there is no plan of God's that can be thwarted. Now, this is good news because sometimes God calls us to things, and we say, all right, I feel God calling me to do this. This thing's very difficult. Sometimes you see missionaries, and they feel that God's calling them to go to a certain place, and it's a scary place, or it's a difficult place, or God calls you to serve in some ministry. God calls you to be a pastor. That was a scary thing for me. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Well, I'm going to do it by the power of God. That's how all of us are going to do the things That God has called us to do. We are going to do those things. By the power of God. And if God has put a plan into place. And he has revealed to you. And you've prayed. And you seek him. And you, you, you are discerning. And you're looking at his word. And you feel without a shadow of a doubt. That the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And God says this is what I have for you. And this is my plan for you. And this is what I want you to do. Then we better say yes Lord here am I send me. And that does not mean that it will be easy. I can guarantee you that that does not mean it will be easy. So don't for a second think that if you begin to do something that you really believe that God has called you to and it's hard, don't say, well, maybe God really didn't call me to this. No, God never tells us it's going to be easy. And time and time again through Scripture, we see people who serve God and do His will and it's not easy. And there is no greater example of that than Jesus Christ. He came to do the will of the Father and He says that repeatedly repeatedly. Through his ministry. And his ministry was at times great and fruitful. But it was always filled with those who were coming against him. And ultimately those who nailed him to the cross. But even when they nailed Jesus to the cross, God's plans were not thwarted. So we need to remember that. Whatever, whatever God's plan is for our life, if we're walking in obedience to Him and seeking Him and living for Him and trying to do His will and discerning His word and reading His word and living by His word, then, then we need to know that whatever God has before us, He's going to get it through it. Get us through it, that His plans are not going to be thwarted. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Look at them, Jesus said. With men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Now, in the context of this passage, there was a, a rich man, and Jesus says, Look, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And who can enter in? I believe it was the disciples said that there. And Jesus said, Look, there is nothing that is impossible for God. We need to remember that. Whatever we are up against, there's nothing that's impossible for God. Even if we are rich and greedy, we are full of sin. Look, there is great forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in no other. And so apart from Jesus Christ, we are in trouble. But through Jesus Christ, by the power of God, we need to know that in our life, there is nothing that is impossible for God. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. We looked at just a few passages tonight, but you can look through the Bible and you will no doubt find any shortage of story after story after story and Scripture after Scripture of God's power. So, to sum up, God has the power to do all things. Now, we we see the we see the tangible things in Scripture which are pretty phenom- uh, phenomenal and, and good for us to consider. We see... Things like God parting the Red Sea. That's a, that's a pretty well-known story that probably everybody in here knows. There's a great story in Joshua chapter 10 where Joshua needs a little more time uh, to defeat the enemies that he's up against. And he asks that the sun would stand still. And it says the day was twice as long... Now, how did God do that? I don't have a clue how God did that. There are a lot of theories as to, did God stop the earth? And if God stopped the earth from spinning, then how come everything didn't just completely go out of whack? Or maybe he did it another way? Or maybe he did it this way? I don't know. But I have no trouble for a second thinking that if God wants to stop this earth from spinning, that he can hold the oceans into place. He can keep all of us from falling down. Why? Because God is all-powerful. If he can make the universe, then he can control the universe now ever how God made the day twice as long ever how he made the sun stand still whatever means he did it God did it and God can do it by whatever means he chooses because he is all powerful and time and time again throughout scripture we see God using his people we see God calling out to his people and we see God acting in miraculous ways and God's power is great and that's why it's good for us to continue to read stories that we may be familiar with and continue to look at passages like these that maybe we've read before or maybe you haven't and continue to talk about these ideas and be reminded of these ideas. Hey, God is everywhere. There, there's, there's great comfort in that. Or, or maybe even great fear in that that causes us to repent. God is all power, uh, powerful. There's great comfort in that because there are things that are before us that we are far too weak to overcome. And like Paul says uh, in, I believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he prayed about a thorn in the flesh that he had three times. And God did not remove that from him, but he told him, he said, My grace is sufficient, for power is perfected in weakness. Now that's us, because we are weak, and we have our thorns in the flesh. Now I don't know what Paul's was, I don't know what yours is, but I guarantee you tonight there is probably some thorn in your flesh. Now that's symbolic language that Paul had something going on in his life. Now maybe he really did just have a thorn stuck in his foot. I don't know. But I think that it's probably symbolic language. That he was going through something really difficult. And it had been really hard on him. And he had prayed and he had prayed and he had prayed. And God had not fixed it. Now we probably have prayed those prayers too. And it's tough when we're in the midst of those times. And those thorns are poking in us. Because life is hard. And we pray and we pray and we pray. And what do we do when God doesn't... doesn't doesn't remove that thorn from our life. Well, perhaps we simply need to read the words that he told to Paul where he says, look, my grace is sufficient. The power is perfected in weakness. We are weak, brothers and sisters in Christ, but God's grace is good. God's power is good. God is omnipotent. All right, let's look at our last one tonight, and that is that God is omniscient. God is um omnipotent. that means that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. How does God know everything? Well, he's God. Again, these are things that 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 on some level are really too big for us to even comprehend. We can't even begin to wrap our head around some of these ideas because because our minds are so small. And even as much as we know, God knows everything. And God just doesn't Look around and say, okay, well, he looks and he knows everything that's going on. No, he knows all that there was, he knows all that there is, and he knows all that there will be. Now, how does he know that? Well, he's God. Can't explain it, but that's who God is. God is omniscient. So that means he knows everything. All right, let's look at our first passage Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I chose you before I formed you in the womb, I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Okay? So God can certainly see what's coming because what does he say of Jeremiah? He says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I believe some translations there may say, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. How did God know us before we were even born? Because he is God. Now this is a, a powerful passage in a couple of ways. One, because it shows us that, hey, God knows, knows what's coming up. And two, when we talk about abortion, which is a hot-button issue in our world today, and all these people that say a child in the womb doesn't have any life, well, not according to God. God knows those children in the womb. He chooses them from the get-go. And so it's a sad thing we see in our world today that, that our culture and that our world does not recognize when life begins. Life begins that instant. I believe it is instantaneous. I don't believe it takes three weeks. I don't think it think it takes three months. I think it takes a twinkling of an eye when that child is conceived. And no matter how big of a speck of whatever matter that is in there, that is a living child that God has created. And God knew that child in the womb. If only our culture would know children in the womb from the moment that they were conceived. How much better off our world would be. But God knows everything from the get-go before we are even born. Alright, let's look at the next passage. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Now, our understanding is limited. There's only so much we can soak in. Some of you Maybe maybe after we got past that second scripture, you say, "Oh, well, it's more not going to soak in tonight." Sometimes we have to take off bite-sized chunks. We have to take what we can get, and that's okay. Some of us can take in a lot. Some of us can take in a little. I'm one that takes in a little. I have to really, I really have to think about things and chew on things and, and really, really focus on those things. And so I, I get that if you're one of those people that that has to that has a little understanding. But even with all the understanding that we have in this room combined. We still don't have much understanding, but God has no limit to His understanding, no limit to His knowledge, what He knows. He knows everything, and it's an unlimited understanding and an unlimited power. Yahweh is everlasting, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. Okay, so He knows all things, but He never grows faint or weary. Is that not good news or what? He's an infinite source of power for you and I. Because you and I grow tired and weary. We may grow tired and weary from the circumstances that we're up against. We may be tired and weary from being out in the heat at Summer Fun Day. And then we've got to get up the next day and go to work. Or we've got to do other responsibilities. I mean, it may just be a, a real practical sense like that that we say, God, I just physically don't have the strength mentally or physically to do this thing that I'm supposed to do. But God gives us the strength. He gives us the strength that we can't even imagine because He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He doesn't grow faint or weary. Praise the Lord. We need to know that fact because maybe some of you tonight are saying, man, I'm running on empty and I need God to get me through my circumstance or get me through this struggle or just get me through this week of work. And God... Is good to us if we seek Him. He will give us the strength to do that. He knows everything that we are up against, and God will help us through those things. All right, let's look at our next passage. First John chapter three verse twenty. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience, and He knows all things. Now we're not so much looking at the context of that right here right now, other than that last part that John puts in there. He knows all things. Real simple verse. It's a reminder to us that God is omniscient, that he does know all things. All right. Psalm chapter 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Well, that's good news that the Lord knows what we are going to say before we say it. The reality is a lot of times we know what we are going to say before we say it. And some, how many times have we ever started off a sentence by saying, I probably shouldn't say this. If you start your sentence off with that, you need to stop right there. We don't stop our sentences there. What's the next word that comes? But. But is the next word that comes. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, so God knows the things that we're fixing to say. And we probably know the things that we're fisting to say, too. So, A, we need to remember that God knows what we're about to say. And if we know that we shouldn't say it, then maybe we shouldn't say it, okay? And so we we need to be careful of the words that we speak. But this verse speaks to the fact that God knows the word. It is on my tongue before I say it. All right, one more passage for us tonight. Psalm 44, verses 20 through 21 If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands to a foreign God, wouldn't God have found this out since he knows the secrets of our heart? Now this is a scary passage, that God knows the secrets of our heart. Now it may not be scary for you, but it is scary for me. You know why? Because there are things in my heart that I wish were not there. There are things in my heart that are so evil. There are things in my heart that if you could see them... You probably would run me off from this church and shut me up right now. There are so many things in my heart that I say, man, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to act this way. And so we have to make sure that we are checking our hearts because God sees our heart. And that is what is the most important thing to God that our heart is right. It's not so much about our actions. It's about our heart. Our heart is not changed by our actions. Our actions are changed by our heart. And we need to know that. That's always been the most important thing for God. In the Old Testament, He gave His people all these commands and all these things that they could do and all these sacrifices. But at the end of the day, there was always one thing that God wanted more than anything. And that was God's people to have a heart that was willing to serve Him and worship and honor Him. That's what God still desires today is for our hearts to be right. And Jesus, uh, God says in the Old Testament, look, I don't, I don't want your, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. What God wants is a broken spirit and a broken heart. That's what God really wants, a heart that's, that's willing to repent and to acknowledge who God is. And so God knows our hearts. He knows the secrets of our hearts. God is omniscient in that way. And so we, we need to realize these things. And in some way, these things are scary. But in another way, these things are freeing. You know, you, you hear the phrase sometimes that so-and-so so let the skeletons out of the closet. Well, that's a horrible burden that we have when we have skeletons in our closet. We don't want those things to come out. And, and part of the burden is trying to suppress those things. But when those skeletons come out, in some way it's probably painful But then in another way, there's a lot of freedom in that because you're not hiding anything anymore. So you need to know today that if you've got those skeletons in your closet or you've got those dark things in your heart, that God already knows them. So you simply need to confess those things to God and say, God, you know these things and I'm acknowledging these things to you and I repent, God, and I ask you to forgive me of these things. God is all-knowing. He knows everything that there is. Is to know. And so we look at these different areas about God. Oh, before we move on, uh, God is omniscient. God knows all that was, all that is, and all that will be. So God knows everything. He knows everything that there is. And we see in these three things that we've looked at tonight look, God is everywhere, God is all powerful, and God is all knowing. This is the God. That our world needs to know. This is the God that we need to know. That we want to see God in these ways. And this is only part of the nature of who God is. And we're going to look at some more of these areas. But even these three things that we looked at tonight. Give us a lot to consider. A lot to think about. A lot to chew on. Because our world is looking for someone who is all-knowing. And who is all-powerful. But our world looks for those things in places other than Scripture. One example in which we see these things is Marvel Cinematic Universe. You ever watch these movies? Well if you had not I'm just going to spoil it for you. Now on the left here we have a guy who's Doctor Strange and guess what Doctor Strange can do? He can know everything. He can see every outcome. He can see the future. He knows all that there is and people love these movies and they're pretty good movies I'll say. I enjoyed them too but, but in that sense Doctor Strange kind of has this, this, this god like ability of knowing everything and knowing the future and knowing what he needs to do that everything is going to work out the way it needs to work out. And then on the right there we have old Iron Man and there's this bad dude and his name is Thanos and he's getting these stones and he's trying to get these stones because they have this, this crazy power and if he gets these stones he can destroy the whole world and Doctor Strange has seen that the whole world is going to be destroyed and he saw 14,605 possible outcomes and only one of them that they won. He saw the future. He knew what it was going to take. He knew what the plan needed to be so that all of humanity could be saved. And guess what was going to have to happen? There was no other way for humanity to be saved than for Iron Man to sacrifice his life. And that's the only way. He had seen the future. And guess what Iron Man does? Spoiler alert. Iron Man dies. And everybody cries. And humanity is saved. Now, this is stories like this are everywhere. And humanity eats these stories up. We like movies like this because people know that there needs to be a Savior. Even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's this idea that there's only one way in which humanity can be saved. But I want to tell you, in the pages of Scripture, there is a better way than Doctor Strange and Iron Man. There is God the Father and Jesus the Son. And God saw our world. He saw that it was fallen and much worse shaped than it is in the Marvel movies. And God knew the future. He was all-powerful. And he knew the only way that people could be saved and the world could be saved and sins could be forgiven were through Jesus Christ. And praise God, he is far better than Robert Downey, Jr., but see, here's the thing with Iron Man. People like Iron Man. Why? Because Iron Man's this he's this arrogant guy. He's this tough guy. He's this cool guy. He doesn't care about any kind of people. But yet we see Jesus who is humble and loving and gracious and compassionate and kind. And people will reject that Savior all day, every day. It's phenomenal. But praise the Lord that, that God has sent us someone to save us in Jesus Christ. And so our world gets it. Our world gets the idea of there only being one way to be saved. The world gets the idea of a sacrifice being made so that others could be saved. If only the world would get the idea that, hey, whoever wrote this story for, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they didn't come up with it. God came up with this story. God came up with this story of sending one who is going to be the Savior of all of the world and sacrifice his life. And that one is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Praise the Lord for that. So that's why we come here today. When we come and we read God's Word and we see the nature of who God is and we see in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the exact expression of the nature of God, it represents who God is. In all of these ways that we have seen, we have seen the power of God through Jesus Christ. And so today we talked about the fact that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere that we are. We talked about the fact that God is omnipotent, God is all-powerful, and we talked about the fact that God is omniscient, that God knows all things. Let us think about these things, think about these scriptures, even look some more, research these things some more. Next week, we're going to talk about some words that may be more familiar to us. Maybe we haven't heard these words. These are kind of, like I said, gnarly words. They're not in the Bible. but. But they kind of they summarize these ideas that we looked at tonight. But next week, we're going to look at three different areas about the nature of who God is. I hope that we have learned something from what we've seen tonight in God's Word. And hopefully, uh, we will continue to learn about the nature of God and grow in Him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your good words. I thank you for each one that's come tonight. I pray that you would help us to know you and to know you better, God. To live for you and to live for you better. That we know that you know all things, that you are always with us, that you are all powerful, dear Lord. And you have given us the the most powerful thing you could, dear Lord, in Jesus Christ. That is your power in its fullness, Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. So God, let us start there tonight. And let us be reminded of that power and that truth through everything we go, go through. Dear Lord, let us not forget tonight that you are with us wherever we go. Let us not forget tonight, God, that you know our hearts. And so, God, if there's something in our hearts, that we give those things to you, that we repent of those things, and that we seek to live for you. God, I thank you for this good food that we've got. I thank you that each one come out here tonight, and I pray that you bless what we've just read. I pray that you bless this food that we are about to eat, and I pray, God, that you give us a good, safe trip home and a good week. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.